Welcome to another podcast of Risen Fellowship. I'm Mike Booth, and we are going through a study called The Twelve, which is looking at the Twelve Minor Prophets of the Old Testament. I believe it's one of the probably most overlooked sections of the Bible, and I know that because from personal experience, I neglected it for years. And just recently, since uh, for about the last three or four months, I've been studying it rather extensively and reading through them numerous times and have really fallen in love with what is there and found out that I've missed a wealth of information and a wealth of inspiration to make me be able to live my life the way God wants to. So I hope you will enjoy this. Now, as we start this today, we're going to look at the first of the minor prophets listed in the book, uh, in the Bible, and that's Hosea. Now, they're called minor prophets uh, as opposed to the major prophets, uh, not in the sense that they're less important than what uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel were. No, it's not that at all. Their ministries and their writings are just as important to God's program of prophecy as the major prophets. Bible students often classify them as the minor prophets because of the brevity of their writings. Although when you look at the next to the last one of the minor prophets, Zechariah, it's by no means short uh, or simple or brief. Now we're looking at the 8th century prophets first. And Hosea, of course, is that first one that we're looking at today. And it's probably the saddest case of prophetic prophecy um, and because it uses Hosea's marriage to his unfaithful wife, Gomer. And that portrays God's relationship with his unfaithful nation, Israel. Now, Amos is also in the same time period, as well as Jonah, the one who was reluctant to go to Nineveh and preach God's message to them. And so is Micah. Now, Micah and Isaiah, the major prophet, were contemporaries speaking about at the same time. And of course, we'll look at this, but Micah is the prophet that prophesied that a leader would be born from Bethlehem that would defeat all of God's enemies. And now maybe Joel was also in that time period, but we'll talk about that in the next podcast about the dating of the prophecy of Joel. But real quickly, just as a brief uh, overview of what we looked at in the introduction. And if you want to know more about this, I would challenge you to uh, go back to the previous podcast and listen to the introductory material. But just the unifying themes that are in all of the 12 minor prophets is this, that the prophets assert that God has spoken through them. And the prophets also foretell and affirm that God has chosen Israel to be in a special covenant relationship with them as his holy nation. Sadly, the prophets were also having to write down that that special nation that God had chose out uh, report that the majority of that nation had sinned against God and his standards for their relationship. But always remember that no matter how unfaithful man can be toward God, God is always faithful in his relationship with us, and even with the majority turning their back upon God, God always raises up a faithful minority. It's called a remnant. The fourth unifying theme is that the prophets warn that there's going to be a judgment coming. With that judgment comes punishment, but that punishment will eradicate sin. And there's also talking about this day of judgment, and that's the one that's already occurred in history to the nation of Israel, but it also looks beyond that to the day of judgment that will bring history as we know it of mankind to an end and God ushers in his eternal kingdom. Now the prophets are not just history for us to look at and be able to try to identify who they were speaking to and who were contemporaries. And the minor prophets are not just for God's people of Israel in the Old Testament. They're for every one of us today. Because they call each and every one of us as a follower of Christ to the repentance of our sin for obedience to God's word and to hold on to the promise of the future. Also, some of the verses 
out of this wonderful book of Hosea that are quoted by the New Testament authors. There's like six of them. In chapter 2, verse 23, Hosea writes, I will have on no mercy. So, excuse me, say, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And you see, that's found where Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 9, and Peter uses it in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 10. Now, Hosea 6, verse 2 says, After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Now, that's not directly quoted, but Paul uh, loosely uses that in the great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus even quoted Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, when he said, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than of burnt offerings. And then in Hosea chapter 10, verse 8 says, And they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. That can be seen in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 16. And in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Hosea says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Of course, that was fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus Christ, when Joseph and Mary fled from uh, King Herod uh, and flew, uh, fled to Egypt. And then when they heard that Herod was dead, they returned back to the promised land. And then Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, uh, it says, O death, where are your plagues? O Seol, where is your sting? And again, that's found for us, repeated in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul in the resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, the book of Hosea is a love story. And everybody loves a good love story, but this one is a love story that has a thorn in it. And that is, it's about a faithful husband with an adulterous wife. You see, God told his prophet Hosea to marry a harlot, an unfaithful wife, and have children with her. And Hosea's marriage would become a symbol of God's love for his adulterous people. And while these descriptions fit Hosea and Gomer, it's also respective of how it fits toward God and Israel. Now the name Hosea is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Hosea, Joshua, and Jesus all mean salvation. Now during the time uh, the time that Hosea is ministering, both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, were experiencing both great political and material prosperity while their uh, spiritual life was on a spoundward, uh, spiraling downward into decline. Hosea's ministry began during the reign of King Jeroboam II, and it lasted to the end of the northern king of Israel, kingdom of Israel. And following the death of Jeroboam, the nation went into a state of political anarchy with four of the last six kings being assassinated. And morally speaking, Israel was bankrupt. Blatant immoralities were practiced openly and unashamedly. The religious life of the people was idolatrous and degenerate. And Hosea was an eyewitness to all this that was going on, the inward deterioration of the nation, which eventually led to its collapse in 722 when Samaria was overtaken by the Assyrians. Now, the theme of the book of Hosea is God's redeeming love for Israel. And it's uniquely expressed with a Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is hesed. It's used six times in the writings of Hosea. And the word hesed, the Hebrew word means loyal love, steadfastness, faithfulness, 
But when it's used with respect to God's relationship with Israel, the word even has another significant meaning, and that is a covenant love. And Hosea stated that God would cease to love them in chapter 9, verse 15. He was speaking of a different Hebrew word for love. At that point, it's ahav. And that ahav speaks of uh, affection, tenderness, or even a passionate love. So when God judges Israel, he's not showing ahav. He's not having a tender affection toward them, but he's still faithful, hasad, in a covenant love toward his people. And no other Old Testament figure anywhere is as clear of a picture of God's love for his nation, his unfaithful nation, than Hosea. Hosea's marriage again. God tells Hosea to take a wife of harlotry, and that will illustrate Israel's unfaithfulness to him. Now, there's four basic points I'd like to bring out about this relationship that Hosea has with his wife, Gomer. Number one, Hosea's marriage is to be taken literally. There's nothing to indicate that his experience was a vision, a dream, a parable, or an allegory, as some people try to make it. We believe that it was real life. Number two, Gomer, this unfaithful wife, the harlot, was chaste at the time of her marriage to the prophet Hosea. The command of uh, chapter 1, verse 2, to take a wife of harlotry, should be, must be understood as anticipatorily. Now, the third thing about this marriage is that the first child of Hosea and Gomer was his. Distinctly said that in verse 3 of the first chapter. But the second and third, no specification is made as who the father really is. And the third thing now about the woman uh, is that in chapter 3, verse 1, that Gomer takes back for a wife, must, uh, that Hosea takes back for a wife, uh, must be identified as Gomer because insurmountable interpretative difficulties arise if that's a woman different than Gomer. And the last thing is that Hosea's marriage played a very important role in his prophetic ministry. The tragedy of his own marriage Hosea came to understand uh, the tragedy of what Israel had done in their relationship with God, God who had been steadfast and faithful in his love for Israel, and they had turned their back on him. Now, some of the more powerful verses of Hosea is chapter 8, verse 7. It says, For they shall sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Which literally, when you read the context of that, that's saying that Israel, instead of trusting God, was making these flimsy political alliances with other nations around them. And because of that, they would reap the ruthless uh, invaders from those same nations coming in to overtake them. They would sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. And then in chapter 10, verse 12, you'll find, that's where one of the verses you'll find the Hebrew word hesed about this covenant love. And where God is saying through Hosea to his people, sow righteousness for yourself and reap steadfast love. Break up your untilled ground. It is time to seek the Lord until He comes, and He sends righteousness on you like the rain. And now it's time, let's take a look at the book of Hosea. Part of Israel's downfall was making these foreign alliances with the other nations rather than trusting God to lead and protect them. And Hosea's message is twofold. It's exposing the sins of the nation, and it's a warning of a coming judgment and punishment but it also includes that message of hope, the hope for the future. Hosea lived this message long before he began to preach it to the people. He had experienced the deep agony of an unfaithful wife, 
but that was used as a divine object lesson to help him communicate with the people. Now we can break the book of Hosea into four parts. Chapter one, two, and three shows us Israel's unfaithfulness pictured. And you can trace that just through the names of the three children that are given to Hosea and Gomer. The first one is Jezreel, which means scattered, and that's foretelling the time when God would scatter Israel among the nations. The second child was Lo-Rohamah, and that means no mercy. God was going to lift His mercy off of the nation, and the nation would suffer greatly because of its sin. And the third child was Lo-Ami, which says, not my people. And it was meaning at that time that God would be out of fellowship, or Israel would be out of fellowship with God. Now, again, you cannot just see this as the history of the nation of Israel. You must realize that this does happen in New Testament Christian lives as well today. If it didn't, then the Apostle John wouldn't have written in his first letter in chapter 2 when he says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. Uh, for anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father of God abides forever. And even John in Revelation chapter 2, where he's talking about the church to Ephesus, and he was recording the words that Jesus spoke. And Jesus was telling him, you must remember from where you have left, and you must repent so you can return. He, they had forgotten and fallen from their first love. And then in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10, the James, the half-brother of Jesus, is telling us that friendship with the world makes us God's enemy. We must submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. And as we do that, we'll be cleaning our hands and purifying our hearts to stay in a good relationship with God. So we see Israel's unfaithfulness pictured in the first three chapters. Then in chapters 4 through 7, we see Israel's sin proclaimed. The sins of Israel read exactly like the headlines of our nation today. People swearing and lying and drunkenness and murder and treachery, adultery and idolatry. And to make matters worse, we are too are much like the nation of Israel. They tried to cover all those sins with some shallow religious revival. And Hosea gave numerous analogies about their spiritual condition when they thought they were strong and they were actually weak. He said, you're like a morning cloud. You can see it for a short time, but then poof, it's gone. He said, you're like a half-baked cake, which means it's a very superficial thing. There's no depth and no meaning to what's happening there. It's worth nothing. And he talks about an analogy, an analogy of being uh, gray hairs, uh, losing their strength and not even realizing that. It amazes me when uh, sometimes men are older and they had once been a great athlete and they have that gray hair come in and they'll get on the arena of a sports that they used to play and they'll try to play against younger people that literally make them look like fools. That's what was happening. The people of Israel were being compared to those who had gray hair. They lost their strength and they just kept on thinking everything was fine. He even called them a silly dove. He said, you're unstable in all your ways, flittering around just from one ally to another. And then lastly, he calls them a defective bow. And that's something that we go into battle with. That's like what we have with our guns and ammunition today. And you go into a battle with a defective bow, you're liable to lose your life. And that's exactly what Hosea is trying to communicate to the nation of Israel as he's proclaiming the sin that they've partaken in. And then the third division of the book is Israel's judgment pronounced. And that's chapter 8 through 10. And rest assured of this truth. 
Backsliders are always punished. And that's exactly what Israel was. Now we can look around sometimes and we can see those people who, who have claimed to be Christians and they seem to be just sinning against God all the time and there's never any sad consequences to come upon them. But we are not the judge and we don't know what's going on. We must leave that with God. But there are Christians today who break their vows with the Lord. They don't lose their salvation. But what happens to them? They do lose their joy, the joy of the Lord. They lose the power of the Holy Spirit. And many times they, they lose their usefulness in the kingdom of heaven here on earth today. And all who are backsliders must suffer the discipline of God. Hosea could see Israel coming in as a swift eagle, a whirlwind, and a burning fire to punish the nation of Israel for their sins. That was the judgment that was being pronounced. And that nation Israel would be scattered among the world and they would reap much more than they had sown. And that too is a spiritual truth of the harvest. Sinners will always reap more than they sow. All you have to do is just plant a few seeds of sin and it will multiply into a large harvest. David sowed one seed of lust that turned into adultery that went on to uh, murder. And he reaped a harvest of tears for the, almost the rest of his life. A parent's love always disciplines their children. And they don't do it out of hatred. They do it out of love. They're doing it a way to hope to make the child better. And our Heavenly Father will correct us as a backslider, as a father, a good father, corrects his son or daughter. He will not punish us like a judge punishing a criminal. He's doing it as a father who loves us. So that's Israel's judgment pronounced. And then the last part of, of the last few chapters of Hosea, chapters 11 through 14, we see Israel's restoration promised. Sin is not only breaking God's law, sin is also breaking God's heart. The backslidden person may enjoy their material wealth. They may enjoy physical pleasures, but this will never satisfy or glorify the Lord God of heaven. And in the end, the backslider will wind up being, just as John wrote about the church of Laodicea in chapter 3 of Revelation, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. God is yearning for His people to repent and return, as we see that in the book of Hosea. And I believe He's seen that today in the United States of America. He's literally yearning and longing for Christians in America to repent of their sins and to clean their hands and purify their hearts and begin to walk with Him, to repent and return to that place of His blessing in our life. And when He does that, He's asking for us a sacrifice from our lips, words of confession, not the sacrifice of animals, not to be about the things that just are religious habits. He wants to be sincerity of our heart that flows from our heart and through our mouth and we confess our sins and repent and turn from them and begin to walk in His way. And if we do that, He promised Israel and He promises us today He will heal us and then He will restore us to His favor. So don't miss the personal message that comes to us from the book of Hosea and again is tied in through the New Testament. Backsliders may return to the Lord and experience His forgiveness Again, this is what the Apostle John wrote in his first letter in chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and restore us into his blessing instead of his punishment. 
And what's interesting is the book of Hosea closes presenting God's way. The closing words say this, For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Are God's truths, God's law, God's precepts, are you finding joy in walking in them? Or are you stumbling over them? So that's an overview of the book of Hosea. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it will challenge you to open your Bible up to the book of Hosea and read through it numerous times and just begin to see what God says to you. Now in our next podcast, we will look at the book of Joel. And until that time, uh, if you had any questions or comments that you would like to make about this, uh, just go ahead and email me, Mike, at risen, R-I-Z-E-N, dot church. I would love to hear from you and respond to you if you have a question. And in, until we get together on our next podcast, I pray that the Lord may make His face shine upon you and bless you and keep you in all your ways. Good day.